This is the best podcast. BEST stands for Business, Entrepreneurship, Startups, and Technology. I'm your host, Adam Sockledge, and each week we talk live on social media platforms like Twitter Spaces so that you can stay up to date with the latest news and stories, learn the greatest tools and tactics, and gain some of the best opportunities to connect with new people. Special guests include top founders, CEOs, and experts. Plus, the audience is always full of fascinating people. Even Elon Musk recently tuned in. All of our conversations are educating, entertaining, and engaging with the mission to help you succeed. So follow us on all your favorite social media platforms, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, tune in live to the best podcast. Let's talk soon. Mario, welcome. How are you? Thank you for having me, Adam. I'm wonderful. How about you? I'm doing fantastic, and this is an absolute honor. I'm so excited to be talking with you today, and uh, the room's going to populate really, really quickly. Mario, when we get before we get started, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate everything that you've done. Um, I'm so excited to be talking with you, and I didn't know, but are you originally from Croatia, or do you have Croatian background? Well, I was born and raised in that region, which was at the time was... Uh, Istria. There was a region of Istria uh, under Italy, and then after World War II, it was occupied by Yugoslavia, and uh, later on, it uh, transformed into uh, Croatia. Because, but when I was born, it was Italy. Ah, very good to know. And I only ask because I have a heritage of uh, coming from Croatia. My family was there originally. I am now in the U.S., of course. My family has been here for a while. Um, but it's always nice to meet someone who also has that background as well. So thank you for sharing that, Mario. All right. Yeah, I, saw I, saw that, I saw that name, your name, which is uh, actually a Slavic name, yeah? Yes, exactly. All right, folks. Well, we're going to dive in and talk all things racing, but great stories. And we're going to have people on stage. I already see familiar faces. Bryson, I see you there and so many more. We're going to bring you up in just a few moments and have a great conversation and dive in deep. Mario, I'm curious, did you watch the races this past weekend? And if so, what did you think just overall uh, about the F1 races so far this season and this past weekend as well? Well, it's been exciting indeed because uh, you have really some riveting rivalries, which uh, um, actually that's what, uh, you know, the interest in racing really, uh, that's what it's at its peak. So, um, you know, it used to be <clears throat> uh, the last couple of years, you know, obviously it was Lewis and that and Max coming on. And then now you have the resurgence of Ferrari. And, um, you know, Leclerc is obviously showing that uh, he's capable of handling uh, that type of uh, stage, if you will. And, um, and again, so it's good stuff. And the fact that uh, Ferrari is competitive, that's a big thing for Formula One. You know, there's no bigger fan base in Formula One than the Ferrari fan base. So, uh, yeah, good stuff happening there. And the races have been really fabulous. Uh, um the, the last two races before Imola, uh, some of the, uh, uh, the fighting for, for, for the lead uh, side by side, uh, several, you know, several turns, several laps uh, with uh, Max and, um, and Leclerc uh, respecting each other, giving each other just enough space, you know, uh, to, to stay on the track. Uh, I think that was, uh, that was really good stuff to watch. Good, 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 good. So 
For folks that are joining the room, now that we've gotten started, we have over 80 people. We're growing over to 100. I'm sure this will grow even more. I just want to make sure that everyone recognizes and welcomes Mario Andretti to the stage. Mario, you have such an incredible background in all of motorsports. Of course, we have Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, just everything out there. I'm curious, if you were competing these days, if you were, ch- you were forced to choose one of these disciplines, which one would you pick and why? Well, probably I would do Formula One. You know, that's been uh, that was my passion from uh, the very beginning of my understanding of the sport even existing. I mean, uh, uh, I was uh, I became fascinated when I was just a young teenager, still living in Italy. So, uh, but uh, you know, my background I think has been uh, I've been very fortunate uh, and blessed to be, uh, you know. Do, most of my entire career in Indy cars. Uh, uh, so again, it'd be one or the other, but uh, uh, I, I enjoy the technology aspect of the sport and um, this, you know, no discipline on this planet that's uh, uh, better than Formula One to display that. So at the moment, that's what I would uh, like to be, but uh, I would want to make sure that I'm with a top team as well. <laughs> mm. Who would, and out of curiosity, who is that top team or just the one that you enjoy following the most? Well, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan across the board. I mean, I have a soft spot for Ferrari, of course. Uh, I drove for Ferrari and, um, and, and it's lovely to see them competitive. Uh, and now that they're competitive, I would say I would choose Ferrari if they would have me. Ah, I love it. I love it. And I'm curious, Mario, with today's drivers, is there one that you think has the versatility to compete in as many disciplines as you did? And if so, who would that be that could do Formula One, that could do NASCAR, Indy? Is there someone out there? Yes, there is. I mean, uh, I feel that uh, the one driver, American driver, that I think uh, is probably the most viable for Formula One is Colton Herta. And uh, his record up to, for this young man up to this point speaks loudly. Uh, and I think um, just the fact that he, he uh, the, the disciplines that he has come through, is he was always uh, at the top of the sheets. And, uh, and when he uh, uh, graduated to the top level in IndyCars, immediately was a force to be reckoned with. Every race that he won there, which is uh, uh, six of them now, I think, um, he, he, he won in speed, not uh, strategy. So, uh, that tells the story against the best that Indy has to offer. And his dream is to be a formula one driver sooner than later. And he's ready now. So, uh, he, he would be my, the one that I would say, uh, be very, I would feel very confident that he would fit that mold perfectly. I love this. I love this. Well, Mario, I have a million questions. And of course, I just love creating conversations with great people. So I don't want to be the one hogging the stage. And we have people in the audience. We're already over 100 and I don't know, 20 plus people. It's going to continue to grow. Uh, But we also have Bryson here. We have Vincenzo, other fellow enthusiasts of racing. Uh, Welcome, Bryson. Let's get to you first. I, I hope that you're having as great of a time here on stage with me and Mario as well. But what's on your mind today, Bryson? Uh, I certainly am. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, you know, come and talk to Mario and yourself. Can, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you well. Yeah, perfect. Uh, yes. Excellent. Excellent. 
Um, so I, I love Formula One probably more than I, I should. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things, and it takes up uh, an incredible amount of time. I love the technical side of it probably more than anything else. And one of the things we've been talking about recently is this porpoising phenomenon. And it's something that we really haven't been dealing with since, I guess, the late 70s, early 80s, and the ground effect cars. And my understanding, uh, Mario, is that that term actually came from you originally, is, is what, I've, uh, what I've heard. I'm, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are about the current cars experiencing it and how you think you might be going forward from here. Well, you know, it's uh, purposing is a characteristic uh, of this ground effect situation, and uh, it's a balance between how much downforce uh, can you uh, derive from uh, from the air passing underneath the car, and then uh, what do you do with the suspension as far as stiffness? And so uh, here's here it is. Uh, I mean, uh, the purpose is, is created with the suction that the car is sucked down and then and then it bounces back. How do you cure that? Well, the only way to cure that is making the suspension um, a lot stiffer, you know, the stiffer springs and so on and so forth. Um, and so, but it's a, it's a trade-off. If you make the car too stiff on the slower corners, you know, you're going to slide all over the place. So it's compromised. Yes, th thank you very much for that answer. Just one brief follow-up. What are your thoughts on what it was actually like to drive? H how did it feel as a driver to experience that kind of a phenomenon? Well, so so that, that that's the answer. I, it's not an easy fix because it's, a, it's almost like an entire redesign of the underneath. And uh, the problem is that uh, when some of the teams that are experiencing more porpoising than others uh, have an issue that uh, they're only allowed so much wind tunnel time uh, uh, during the season. And so uh, the, at the moment, they're stuck with what they have. And uh, so uh, that, you know, that's that's uh, that's a story here. This is great, Bryson. Thank you so much for the question. I love diving, diving into all different aspects, right? We're going to talk about uh, the current stages of all the different racing out there. We can go back in history and talk stories as well. We can talk technical, uh, just all these different areas. I love it, Bryson. So stick with us. Let's keep going, though. Vincenzo, I know that you are also another racing enthusiast. You're big here on Twitter as well. I'm so glad. I've always wanted to have a space with you as well, Vincenzo. So welcome to the stage. And what's on your mind for Mario today? Yeah, thanks for having me. I I appreciate uh, the time, Mario. Um, uh, my question is uh, about FIA allowing new teams to join, and I I'm curious if you think they should either change the way they uh, approach new teams trying to join Formula One, or uh, do you think it's okay the way it is, and the potential teams need to just work harder. Uh, Vincenzo, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure I can uh, publicly say what I'm thinking. I'm thinking here, <laughs> you know. But uh, um, the, the bottom line is that uh, you know the the Andretti team uh, here is uh, keen to to join Formula One, and there's uh, there's a, a huge investment there, and I feel that Formula One should embrace 
an investment. It's like investing in a company. And, uh, and quite honestly, uh, for them to feel that they're uh, very uh, pleased and only they need 10 teams on a grid, I disagree with that wholeheartedly because uh, I think uh, even we've seen this in uh, Jeddah, uh, that only 18 cars started in the field because of an uh, engine situation and a crash. And uh, that doesn't look very affluent on any, you know, on any grid. Uh, so the bottom line is uh, it's almost like more insurance to have more teams that probably should have at least 24 cars on the grid, 12 teams, uh, because uh, they're obviously uh, their objective is to increase the schedule, go up to uh, 25 races next year. And they're even talking, Sefer uh, Domenicali of uh, Liberty is talking about possibility of 30 races. They have that much demand, and which is uh, very demanding. I mean, <laughs> demanding is not even the word because uh, you're you're shifting continents, not, uh, you know, not states even, or, or just countries, you're shifting continents to go from race to race. So um, bottom line is, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but uh, uh, I think uh, for any, you know, any team that, uh, that uh, can show uh, the ability to, to deal with the, uh, with the, the, the rigorous, um, uh, I should say, um, what, what is, uh, request, you know, what everything that's requested by, by formula one, uh, should, should be considered very seriously. That's all. I mean, uh, uh as far as, you know, changing your, the rules and so on and so forth. That's a very difficult situation because everything is ratified by all of the teams, and and you can imagine, you know, it's uh, it's probably almost impossible to get consensus very quick, quickly from 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 a group that large. So it's a complicated situation, but at the same time, I think uh, uh, common sense should prevail and good business sense should prevail, and so that's where we are. That's where. Uh, we're fighting at the moment, and uh, and we hope that we'll prevail too. I I, I appreciate that. Uh, in bocca al lupo, ti ringrazio, and I uh, hope to see you on the grid soon. Benissimo, grazie a te. This is fantastic. Thank you, Vincenzo. Stick around. This is fantastic. And folks in the audience, if you have questions, go ahead, raise your hand. I'd love to bring you up. We have uh, well over 150 people at the moment. It continues to grow. And so, Mario, I thought I heard you say a little while ago that you were interested or maybe people have been speaking about expanding the number of races to 30. Is that what you just said? I didn't say me. I say that uh, there's there's talk internally Ah. uh, that uh, there's a demand for that many and uh you know uh so they're talking about the logistics of it all uh which plays huge you know and as far as far as the movement that uh, needs to happen uh but the, the bottom line is that uh, the schedule right now is very ambitious in itself and uh they're talking about very quickly expanding it to 25 races which that in itself is uh, is a huge undertaking so um, uh, again, but the fact that there's a demand for it, that's healthy, you know, and, um, and, and so the, whenever you have anything positive happening, uh, good, that's good with it. Yeah. And so but you have to plan it, but you have to plan accordingly. 
but possibly make sure you have a healthy grid everywhere you go. And so can you help us understand that? Because for folks in the audience, we're not all former race car legends. We also don't have teams. And you talk about the challenges of logistics. Can you tell us a little bit more? What would that look like as teams and, of course, the organization as a whole thinks about expanding, uh, including that demand as well? But what does it take? What are the considerations that uh, people need to think about? Well, the biggest problem is also is the logistics of, of travel uh, and uh, trend. I know that it's, it's all quite organized. You know, they have uh, uh, you know their own cargo planes and so on and so forth to transport the equipment. But their teams, uh, the the more teams you have, the more uh, of these planes you have to have, and 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 sometimes. Uh, you have to to, to make it um, uh, you know to make sense even financially uh, the planes have to be full so you know if you got two large planes you can have, you cannot have one going full the other one half and there's so many of these aspects that need to be considered throughout so uh, if you need two airplanes to transport uh, uh, you know uh, eight teams and then what do you do uh you know what i mean do you need three airplanes uh i mean there's so much of that and 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 the logistics of that is that every team you not only have the cars and and all of the uh the equipment you need to operate in a car but also you have uh uh the the, the infrastructure of uh of the team itself, where, where the team the team lives for this uh, three three days at, at any given track, it's like a, a circus going up. Uh, you have uh, uh, hospitality areas and and uh, and all of that. So, uh, like, like I said, it's the the logistics are incredible, um, uh, and it all comes to play, you know, with uh, making everything happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a very complicated sport. You know, because uh, it's not like, uh, say, the ball sports. You know, it's uh, you know you got the players there, and and you're carrying a, a ball. You know, a soccer ball, or uh, or uh, you know, even if you go soccer across country, across continents. You know, you don't need any much equipment. We arrive there, the facility is there. But uh, uh, when it comes to uh, motor racing, it's. Uh, it's really, really, really complicated. Um, uh, the, the team of mechanics also that uh, uh, have to, you, you not only need a car, you need all the spare parts. Uh, you probably need enough spare parts to build another car. And all of that, you know, has to go with just uh, with every team. Um, uh, a lot of people don't realize. I think uh, uh, if anyone is interested in watching this Netflix uh a series uh, drive to survive would learn just the complexity of our sport which is uh, pretty much what i'm talking about and uh, and that's why the sport has become formula one uh, especially so popular when all of this was divulged about uh, you know what the teams have to do you know to be efficient to be uh, you know to be ready to you know all of the elements that it takes uh, uh, you know to, to, to be competitive as well 
I absolutely love this, Mario. And and you bring up an amazing series, yes, Drive to Survive, which I love. And I hope people in the audience, if you haven't checked it out, you've got to check it out. Um, but these conversations are so powerful, Mario, because we can talk, you know, not only with you directly, uh, but we go behind the scenes because we can talk current days. But it's all this other fascinating things that go behind the scenes as well. So I have one more question and then I want to keep going uh, with the people on stage. We have F1 in America. I believe that's you, Peter. And then Alanis, good to see you as well. So, Mario, we were just talking about, you know, potential expansion and things like that. I'm curious, two-part question. What was your favorite track to drive on? At the same time, if you wanted to add a track, where was some place that you would love to drive that you would love to add to, you know, potential expansion? Well, uh, you know, the, the answer to the first part of the question is very easy. Um, my favorite track was anywhere, any track that I could win on, you know, so it's, uh, and I, I never really rated my, the tracks as, oh yeah, this weekend I'm going to a place I really like, uh, what happens next weekend if you, if you, if you're going to express the fact that, uh, even mentally say, oh, I really don't care this place so much. Don't you mean that uh, you're arriving there defeated already? So I always stayed away from that. I stayed away from that. I stayed away from my favorite car. My favorite car has yet to come, which is a car that's totally perfect. I've had cars that maybe were 97% perfect, you know, uh, one time or another. But uh, uh, that's the way it works. For me, I always try to maintain a very positive approach to things. And, uh, and again, uh, give me any track, and I'll try to make it happen. I'll try to... to, to uh, you know, to embrace it, not only embrace it, but I'll try to conquer it. And that's always been uh, the objective uh, in my entire career. So that's my answer to that one. Good. And then how about if you were to, if you wanted to add one, right? If you just, a, a place that would be an absolute dream or that you would just love to see other racers on as well. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the tracks that they're on the scene are pretty much there. I mean, uh, Usually drivers uh, like the most challenging one, like in Formula One, uh, who doesn't love Spa, you know? And uh, uh, it used to be the old Nürburgring, but of course it's uh, by any standard today, it's not viable. Um, I mean, I'm just so happy that I drove that, you know, it was uh, 14 miles a lap, Um, you know, just to remember every nook and tranny and whatever that is. (laughs) Cranny. <laughs> Tranny. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Cran- it's Cranny. I, I think Amy always corrects my English. I love uh, it. But uh, I have to have an English teacher around me always. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Mario. Let's keep going. Uh, I have F1 in America. I believe that's you, Peter. You there? Hi, Adam. Yeah. Thanks so much. Mario, it's always a pleasure to hear your voice, and I'm so grateful um, for Adam and everyone in the room to just get a chance to to hear you speak. Um, the last time I spoke to you in, in Austin, you, you said something that really has stuck with me for a long time, and I bring it up today um, to really talk about uh, something you said earlier in the in the space, which was, you know, Adam asked, you know, which which race would you, sorry, which series would you like to compete in? And you said Formula One. And tying into um, conversations that you and I have had, 
there, there's a real component about representing one's country and really lifting the aspirations and the the level of competition within that country and um, globalized world as it is today that that may be a little bit less of a factor but i'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to just kind of how important it is it has been and and when you won your world title you know how important was that to to really represent um the united states and of course italy but in your in your own words i'm wondering if you could just speak to that thanks so much mario you're very welcome um yes i i I have a very strong opinion about that only because uh, I experienced it and I, I, I put a lot of value in what you're saying. I think uh, uh, no question that Formula One as a motorsport is the, the Olympic, the Olympics of motorsport because of its in, international status and so on and so forth. And, uh, and, and it's got a special value by representing your country abroad in a different continent. Uh, and then being on the top step. Why? Because uh, the first uh, national anthem that's played is that of the winning driver. And, um, and you know, there's always value, you know, to look at, uh, uh, the, you know, to have the love of your country and all of that. And, and again, uh, the national anthem is played before every sporting event, uh, you know, in, in any different country, but uh, it's got more value if it's, if it's played among, uh, when you're an international, uh, international, you know, international uh, area, you know. Uh, and um, like I said, for me, uh, all of a sudden it had a, a totally different meaning. Uh, and then and along with that, uh, in 77, uh, uh, I put so much stock into uh, what I was very fortunate to accomplish, winning the U.S. Grand Prix um, earlier in the season in Long Beach and then winning the Italian Grand Prix later on in Monza. And, you know, the press, a lot of people didn't pay much attention to it, but I did. Uh, and because of the fact that, you know, it was my home Grand Prix and my native Grand Prix um, and... You know, from that standpoint, obviously, uh, I, I felt I couldn't have done any better. Couldn't have been more satisfying. So it's got that aspect of it. That's why I think um, uh, the U.S. should be represented in Formula One, and we're trying really hard to make that happen ourselves. Uh, and from a driver standpoint, I mean, team is one thing, but it, the, the driver is what really uh, stands out more than anything. And uh, you know, uh, let's face it, when I was driving for a British team, uh, the American flag was next to my name. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, there's something very meaningful uh, about that aspect. And, uh, and I know how much value I put to it. Just as a follow-up, Mario, um, winning in front of your home crowd is, is obviously something that, you know, you find important. How important is it? Uh, in your opinion, for someone like Colton to um, to maybe win his home uh, series, say in IndyCar, before he goes to Formula One, or do you really not? Do you really keep those separate? Um, and kind of how you view sort of the progression of a of a driver um, to Formula One. Uh, it's all important. All of it has tremendous meaning. I mean, uh, if Colton could put. Um, under his belt, uh, a national championship, 
before he goes over there, uh, all the better for him uh, from every standpoint. Uh, so wherever you are, obviously, you want to be able to come away with the maximum possible. Um, that's the objective of anyone that, uh, that, uh, that uh, means anything to the sport. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, uh, the desire on Colton's part is not falling short, trust me. Um, and so, yeah, to answer your question, uh, it is uh, not only important, it's very meaningful. This is great. So, Peter, thank you so much for asking your question. And stick around on stage. And quick reminder, folks in the audience, go ahead and raise your hand. There's a huge queue of people that want to come up. I'm doing my best to manage that. Uh, you can also send me DMs if there's a question that you'd like to ask, but you'd prefer to stay in the audience. And we've got a great group of people here on stage. Let's continue. And Alanis, it's so good to talk with you again. What's on your mind today? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming, Mario. We really appreciate it. I actually had a question about what you were talking about earlier. You said my favorite track was one I felt like I could win at. Did you ever have tracks that you you struggled to see yourself winning at? And how did you get over that in your mind? Well, uh, that's really uh, what I said. My favorite track is every track that I won on. Not that I. Oh, that I, I thought you said that I could win on. Oh my goodness! I felt that I could win on any track. That's amazing! Wow, you just completely like canceled out my question there. Totally. Dang. Totally. Keep going though, Atlantis. <laughs> Keep going. What I'm am sure I you... supposed to do now? Oh my goodness! <laughs> Come up with another one. Come up with another one. Okay, so I was at Long Beach a couple of weeks ago, and I brought my friend Allie, who had never been to a race before, okay? And we saw you overdoing the two-seater rides. And I just, I am so curious. What is your favorite part about two-seater rides? Like, what got you into doing them in the first place? And, like, what keeps you doing them all the time? Well, uh, my favorite part is uh, to see the passenger come away with a smile and feeling that uh, they've experienced something meaningful and they've uh, probably have uh, uh, different uh, appreciation for what uh, our sport is all about. And, um, and the other part is uh, I feel that, uh, uh, you know, more, it's more meaningful for me to be able to go to the races to be active like that I think it's a, it's no better way, in my opinion, to, uh, uh, to you know to expose or to uh, our sport, uh, or showcase, I should say, our sport uh, to uh, fans, uh, you know, staff, established fans, new fans, media, and and, and individuals from other sports to see to, to 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 experience what this is all about because ours is a very non-participant sport. Uh, you know, it, as far as the real thing is concerned, and um, and I think even if you go to a driving school, and so uh, you'll never be you never be able to go as fast as uh, we can take you. You know, with these cars, they're pretty sophisticated cars, and and so uh, again, from that standpoint, I think it's got tremendous value. And for my part, I just said uh, gives me uh, more reason maybe to stay in a reasonable shape physically uh, and uh, and enjoy my driving because uh, I, I do that um, I you know everybody gets a safe ride but I don't leave much on the table I, I, I go for it and uh, you know if you're on for a ride I think you'll get a pretty good ride 
I love that. Wow, you're in great shape because I hosted a party one time at IndyCar at uh, Circuit of the Americas, and it was at like 10 p.m., and you came, and that was past my bedtime, and that was too late for me, and you were there, and that was impressive. Um, do you do you have any cool stories from two-seater rides? Like, has anyone done anything really weird or interesting? Well, the, the interesting part sometimes is uh, if somebody loses their cookies, you know, they get to keep the helmet. So there's a caveat to that. I love that. Thank you so much. Oh, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you another one. There was, a, there was a lady, her name was Edith, and she was uh, 102 years old. And, um, and you know, her, uh, you know, her family, uh, she, she expressed several years uh, uh, the desire to be in a two-seater and at one point she was like a hundred a hundred one and she said uh, I I want to drive with Mr. Andretti before he gets too old and she was a hundred one so, <laughs> so <laughs> at Indy so they brought her over and I gave her a nice sweet little ride and she was so beaming so wonderful so as you can see there's no age limit there that is so wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for answering my questions. And Alanis, I love that you brought that up because it, it kind of segues into another question that I have. And it's just the fact, Mario, what's the most embarrassing story that you can share with us? Just something that, you know, throughout your career, I'm sure you've had your highs and your lows, but a moment in time that as you look back, you're like, wow, that was embarrassing. But like walk us through us and help us kind of get inside that experience that you went through. It, it really... Uh to me, there was nothing more embarrassing than making a mistake on a track, which potentially even cost somebody else, um, and uh, and it was so obvious. And and so. Uh, in Indy '92, when you broke your toes. Yeah, yeah. Here's another one. Uh, uh, in Indy '92, uh, we had a. Uh, I came in on it. Was during a yellow. Came in on a pit stop. I was running second, and. Uh, and we had a problem with the right front. And uh, and so by the time I lined up again uh, on a grid, you know, for the restart, I was dead last in the field. And um, and I was like something like 22nd. And uh, so I was so upset with myself. Well, not with myself. It wasn't my fault. You know, I had a problem, a logistical problem with one of the crew members. Uh, anyway, uh, on the restart, I really I tried to just do the impossible in my own, man, my own head. I said, I'm going to pass 10 cars before I get to the start-finish line. And uh, I forced it through turn four with cold tires and everything, and I crashed, uh, busted my feet and so on and so forth, and, uh, and I gave it all away. And uh, it was a total mistake on my part. And, but it's not the only one, you know, unfortunately, but you do make those. But sometimes those are just that you figure, you know, how stupid, how come you could not think through that one better and all of that. So and my only my only embarrassments on the racetrack have been those, you know, just making a mistake that I know I should have avoided. Uh, but uh, I hope that maybe I learned something from it. So there's always, uh, you know, a bright side to it. Uh, and, uh, and that's about it. 
Good, good. Well, thank you for sharing that embarrassing story. Let's continue on. We have more great folks in the audience, and thank you everyone for joining. We're talking with the racing legend, Mario Andretti, and we're sharing stories. We're diving into the technical side of things, the business side of things. It's fantastic. And Allie, you've been waiting so patiently. Thank you so much. What's on your mind today? Hey, thank you so much for letting me speak. Mario, um, I believe you and I spoke about a year ago. I work uh, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we were talking about Nazareth and why you chose to make Pennsylvania your home. But um, the universe works in such funny ways. This morning, I was talking to NFL uh, head coach Dick Vermeil, who also calls Pennsylvania home, and he was showing me fantastic pictures of the two of you. He has a racing background with his father, and and he said when he um, got the call that he was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame for the NFL, you sent him an incredibly nice note, and, and it just touched it touched him, and and he said it was one of the two people that reached out that really meant the most to him. You're a racing legend, but your career is so much bigger than racing. How do you kind of put into context everything that you've been able to accomplish over the years and, and all the, the people in racing, out of racing that, that you've been able to touch? I mean, it's just incredible. Well, thank you for that. Dick uh, Romeo is obviously a good friend of mine. It's been, it's been for a long time. And uh, on, on that other aspect, uh, how to put things in context, I mean, uh, I say this all the time. I count my blessings every day for everything that's happened to me in my, in my life, um, uh, both professional and personal. Um, you know, I've been surrounded uh, with the, the good people, you know, and they can't do anything by yourself. I look back at to, uh, even in my life as a race driver, uh, how ambitious I was. And, and, uh, and, you know, I had a, the uh, end and I had a family at a very young age, and, uh, you know, something always has a degree of suffering. Uh, that is, you know, unless you, you have the partner that can carry that for you and not make you feel, you know, uh, <laughs> selfish. selfish, if you will, about what you're doing. Uh, and uh, so I, I, when I have time to reflect, uh, I can only think of the people that have helped me achieve what I did and also, also have enriched my life by doing so and uh, and help make everything, uh, you know, uh, not, not a negative, you know, maintain a positive throughout. Uh, again, we did the best with our family to keep them, keep them together, traveling and so on and so forth. So, um, again, uh, it, uh, overall, uh, looking back in my life, I look at so many negatives that became positives. You know, even from the very beginning of my life, you know, where uh, my family, we were a product of World War II. We, uh, uh, we suffered because of that. We were displaced from our homes. We were in a refugee camp and everything looked bleak. But then... You know, opportunities come up, and we came to America. Everything opened up. You know, I'm a perfect example of the American dream. Uh, I always say that every day, even to myself. Uh, so, and and a lot of that is uh, by maintaining a positive attitude. Uh, I learned a lot from my father. You know what he was facing, and you know what? As kids, we were never cold. We were never 
hungry and we always went to best schools and all of the things that uh, he, he always provided for, for us under, you know, very trying circumstances. So, uh, again, uh, overall, overall, things couldn't be better. Oh, I think it's so amazing to, to hear you say that and the American dream. I mean, that, that always gives me chills whenever you say it. But um, it is it is interesting the way you credit your family and your wife and, and kind of the support there. Um, Dick said the same thing about Carol this morning, just how he couldn't have been a coach without without her support. And I think that is so important. You've mentioned to me before, this is the last thing I'll ask you about being able to race alongside your sons and, and how special that is. Um, can you share a little bit more about that? Because I think, uh, you know, some some dads and sons get to play Little League Baseball and you guys get to race on the highest levels. It's, it's pretty amazing. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, you know, that's another chapter that um, I when I look back, I figure out how fortunate we've been as a family. Uh, you know, I had a twin brother, Aldo who passed away a couple of years ago and uh, he he had the same dreams as me he was not as fortunate however when we look at both families uh, we have eight race drivers between all of us four and four and uh, all of us you know following our dreams and um, along the way as a family uh, I look back how much uh, we've been able to accomplish together uh, in a very unique fashion, in a sense, like uh, 91, 92, uh, there were four of us, four of, of members of the same family that qualified for the Indy 500, which never happened before or since. Uh, we, when Michael, Michael was really, really uh, uh, one of the toughest drivers I ever had drove against, and and you know we became teammates as well in the stint in the Indy cars. And you know then Michael and I were on podium in an Indy car race fifteen times, father and son, and we were first and second five times. We had the closest race in the history of Indy car racing. At Portland, nineteen eighty-six, uh, first and second, and uh, but I won, of course. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, but again, uh, we started and we started on on the front row of an IndyCar race uh, ten times t- together. So looking back, I mean, how could things be any better than that? I'll give you another one. In nineteen eighty-six, the Pocono five hundred. There was a supporting race, like uh, the Indy Lights, called the ARS at the time. And my younger son, Jeff, was on pole for that race. He won that race. Michael was on pole for the 500 in the Indy cars, and I won the 500. So between the three of us, we cleaned house that weekend. Uh, So looking back, you know, how sweet is that? You You know what I mean? So could we expect or want anything more from the sport no we again we've been blessed and uh just uh precious precious moments precious memories and uh, which uh, makes me very very proud of uh, of the kids that chose to follow the footsteps um with passion and resolve and uh, and and more important than anything enjoying it Thank you for sharing. I appreciate the time. And make sure Michael remembers who won that 86 race. Yes, I I, I make sure that he remembers that every day. Yeah. <laughs>
And thanks, Allie. Great question. I have a quick follow-up for you, Mario, and then I know we have other questions with folks on stage. So, Bryson, we'll get to you in just a moment, and then Vincenzo and Alanis as well. So, Mario, you spoke just a moment ago, you know, about racing with your son, and I can only imagine I'm a father, and I have a six-year-old daughter who's starting to grow up and do adventurous things. But, you know, being a driver, in a way, you have to have no fear. But the moment you get on a track with family, and in this case with a son— did that change the experience for you in regards to like then there adds a layer of fear because there's interaction, obviously, in potentially uh, very serious situations? But what was that mentality like for you? Well, you know, we looked at each other as just competitors, uh, uh, for sure, for sure. Each one of us uh, uh, felt that uh, we were not going to put any one of us in peril unreasonably. Uh, that's that's very important. But were we going to give each other an extra inch? No way. <laughs> and uh, and that's the way we operated. But uh, first and foremost, we obviously were not going to be crazy or stupid about uh, 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 creating unnecessary danger, you know, in, in situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that. That's something that uh, you don't do with anyone, whether it's your it's your family or not. So uh, you don't change your style; you just maintain that style. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, even from the point of uh, uh, concern, I was much more—I uh, don't know—I I think uh, uh, much more relaxed about uh, racing alongside uh, my both my sons or my nephew, for that matter. Uh, uh, when I was on the track, then when I'm on the sideline, you know, when mm-hmm. when I came out of the cockpit, you know, I was much more nervous on the sideline watching them race because I know what they, they're facing potentially in the danger aspect. And um, when I was on the track with them, I f- almost, you know, uh, as an abstract, I felt like I had more control of it, if you know what I mean. I don't even know what I mean, quite honestly. <laughs> no, I do. But I, but I felt uh, I had more control of it and, uh, because I was there with them. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword in so many ways. But uh, uh, overall, though, I mean, it comes down to uh, the family pride, you know, to have, uh, have your kids, uh, you know, follow your own footsteps. You know, there's, uh, there's something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and we, we obviously experienced that. Love it. Love it, Mario. Thank you. And it, it kind of gives me, um, I don't say chills, but I can feel it when you, when you talk about those moments, those experiences. So thank you for sharing that one. And I want to keep going. We have great people on stage, great people in the audience. I want to be very respectful of your time, Mario. So I'm going to keep this to under 10 minutes, but let's go really rapid fire here. I know you can go fast, Mario. So Bryson, let's go to you first. I know you have a question and then we'll go to Vincenzo and Alanis as well. So Bryson, what's on your mind? One of the things that I love about motorsports is that it's so visceral, right? It's so simple, like go around a track as fast as possible. It cuts across all demographics and and many people from many countries enjoy it. I I recognize as a a fan of F1 and an American that we're kind of a minority (laughs) in the global sense. There's not as many fans as I'd like there to be. F1 is growing in the U.S. a lot more as time has gone on. What do you see as the prospects of Formula One's growth in the U.S. and what it needs to do to establish itself in a meaningful way? 
Well, I think all of what you're saying is actually happening right now. I mean, we've we have seen a great resurgence of interest. Uh, as we spoke earlier, I think a lot of it is credit to that uh, uh, Netflix thing, uh, you know, Drive to Survive. Uh, it just brought some insight, you know, to what the sport is all about. And uh, But then again, uh, the Formula One is just all of a sudden just kicked up somehow uh, in interest uh, with the rivalries that we have seen the last couple of years. And, uh, and now... You know, clearly in the U.S. now with uh, uh, this year having the second Formula One race here, really, really, really well staged. And um, and then next year having the third one, you know, with Las Vegas uh, added to the calendar. So, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, be the, the only country on the planet, you know, that, that will have uh, three Formula One races. And uh, so, again, all of this is happening. I think we're feeding the, fan, the frenzy here. Um, and and it's, it's also positive. Uh, I don't know what else we could do, you know, to really enhance that. Uh, I think uh, what you're saying is happening here. It's a great question, Bryson. Great answer as well. I loved how you spoke about the different areas in the U.S. as well. Um, I was going to go to Vincenzo next, and I want to respect Vincenzo. So please, if you have a moment, Vincenzo, speak up. And then uh, F1, I see your hand is raised, but I want to make sure Alanis gets in as well. So Vincenzo, are you there? Yes, right here. Go right ahead. All right, Mario. What, aside from pure skill... What is the most important trait for a driver to have? Most of us will never drive a car at those speeds, ever. So what is the most important trait that a driver needs to have, aside from their skill? Desire. Desire is the basis of it all. Desire the love for what you're doing, what you're about to do, and what you want to accomplish. Uh, but it's uh, uh, you have to have that burning desire to do something uh, to do it well, to uh, uh, apply every aspect uh, uh, that is available to you, um, not only physically, mentally. Uh, just look at everything that, uh, that you need to be able to, uh, to go out there and get the job done. Um, but, um, you know, it's just one thing, desire. I'm going to ask a real quick follow-up, Mario. It's just a yes or no. Can you talk to a driver, look them in the eyes, and say yes or no, they have that desire? I think you could probably, you could probably do it in so many ways, yes. I think you can. Okay. You, can you can see, uh, uh, I, I, I can actually tell you that uh, I, sometimes I can detect that. Good, 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 good. All right. Well, let's keep wrapping. We got five, six, seven minutes left. I want to make sure we're flying along. Um, let's go to Peter next in Amer uh, F1 in America. You have your hand raised. I see Indra's here, so I will get to you. Unless, Indra, do you have to jump in real quick? I know that you are at working at the moment as well. No, no, I will wait my turn. Thanks, okay. though. We'll go to Indra, and then, Alanis, you can help wrap up if that sounds good. So, Peter, F1 in America, go right ahead. Thanks so much, Adam. Uh, Mario, with the the pressure to commercialize and globalize sport um, around the world, Formula One is going through changes with addition to sprint races, a longer season, more demands on teams, maybe even a shorter race weekend. Is there something absolutely critical to the DNA of F1 that you hold in such high importance and regard that you think should definitely not be changed? Um, and, and do you have any comments on maybe what, 
uh, tweaks and, and changes that you've seen that you like. Thank you. Well, I think uh, as, as simple as I can make it, I think the technical side should remain. I think the trend uh, for many reasons, cost reasons and so forth, is uh, to go to spec um, in many series. Uh, but uh, Formula One at the highest level, uh, I think, should uh, keep the technical side uh, you know, uh, alive. Uh, because uh, that's to me that's what's appreciated um, throughout, you know, probably by the majority of the, of the sophisticated fans, and um, and and again, uh, it's easy to to fall away from that because there are many reasons why sometimes you should, because you would have a more level playing field and so forth. But uh, the, the to me, a strong characteristic of Formula One is that, and and that's what keeps uh, manufacturers, I think, uh, interested as well. To be honest with you, um, and um, I think the strength of manufacturers is not to be uh, overlooked in, by any stretch of imagination. So um, that's one characteristic. As far as uh, what. What I like, what I like is that, uh, uh, for instance, with a new rule that uh, to try to, uh, you know, to uh, to reduce some of the turbulence from the from the cars to to be able to uh, to, to follow closer and have you know more competitive races uh, is uh, I think it, it was accomplished uh, probably uh, probably as much as it was you could possibly uh, hope. Uh, with the new rules that we have with the with the new cars this year um there's never really a, a quick answer you know to that you just uh, um uh, it's 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 a very complex situation for uh, any of the technical committees you know which i don't envy quite honestly uh, to come up with these answers but uh, i know they made a mistake a couple of years ago by going to the larger rear wings big time and uh, and uh, so uh, they finally, you know, when they changed to this new rule, they accomplished something. But uh, it's a uh, it, it, it's a never-ending uh, situation to try to solve all those issues because uh, the bottom line is to try to make uh, the sport as competitive as possible. You want to see action on the track. Let's face it. You know, you don't want to you don't enjoy a procession. You know, you just gotta see the races like we've seen the last uh, especially you know this year a lot of fighting you know good close fighting back and forth which uh, i think it uh, it bodes very well with what we're you know, we were hoping for it's great great love it love it all right we're gonna go super fast here indra it's good to see you i'm glad you're up on stage and thanks for being so patient what's on your mind hi mario how are you hi indra <laughs> it's great to see you um You've probably been asked a million times, but um, who haven't you had in your back seat? Uh, top three people that you'd love to take for a ride. Ma, you is one of them. God, I love you. <laughs> and then, uh, then we'll have the Pope. Wow! Okay, I'm in great company here. <laughs> wow! And Dick, and Dick Vermeil. <laughs> yeah, I love That's that. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Great question, Andrew. I, I love these types of questions as well. And so, okay, Alanis, you got it. What's that question that you've got on your mind right now? 
that that was incredible. Like if I were in the same if I were in the same conversation as riding in Mario's two seater with the Pope, that, that would be really impressive. So congratulations, Indra. That's great. So Mario, my question is more of a lifestyle question. I wanna I wanna learn about you. So what is the weirdest habit or tradition you have? It could be around a week, race weekend. It could be you do it any time. I know Alexander Rossi always goes to Applebee's before the Indy 500. What is something you do that will tell me about you? Well, enter the cockpit of a race car always from the left side. Never, ever, ever step off to the right or entered from the right side. That's what I've done all my life. And if I would ever okay. do it the other way, I think I'd have to shoot myself. Okay, okay. I I love this. Is this, like, mentally you cannot do it? Do you have a superstition? Was this formed some way, or did you just do it randomly the first time and kept doing it? How did this happen? I have no idea. It just had to happen that way. <laughs> I, I, I say I'm not superstitious, but I am. Don't, for instance, if you want an autograph, don't don't hand me a, a a green a green pen, you know that type of thing. So uh, stupid things like that, but uh, they become a stumbling block. You know why? Because uh, uh, a couple times when 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 I sign the green. Either something not good happened either to me or, or to, you know, to one of my guys, you know, uh, my family on the track or something. A stupid coincidence, but uh, um, it's just something I put weight on. So I don't want to take any unnecessary risks. So um, there you have it. I love That's it. That's amazing. Thank you so much. That is. I'm, thank not, you. I'm, not, I'm not complicated, by the way. <laughs> Keep it simple. Keep it simple. <laughs> All right, Mario, I want to keep us tight on time, almost to the second. We're coming up at the top. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Mario. This has been an absolute pleasure. We're honored to have you here. We have hundreds of people in the audience. I hope you've enjoyed this as well. Again, folks, my name is Adam Soklich, also known as the best of live audio here on Twitter Spaces. I love talking with fascinating people just like you, Mario. So I hope you had a tremendous time. I want to thank you. And I hope everyone in the audience will follow Mario and the great speakers we have up on stages well so thank you again mario we really appreciate it oh wonderful thank you adam and thank you audience thank, thank you, you thank very you, much you. all right we folks i hope you have a great rest of the day thank you so much and take care of yourselves out there and by the way don't bring a green pen if you're getting an autograph from mario thanks everybody bye 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 <laughs> thanks for having us thank you all bye thank you love you mario bye grazie mario this is the best podcast. B-E-S-T stands for business, entrepreneurship, startups, and technology. I'm your host, Adam Soklich, and each week we talk live on social media platforms like Twitter Spaces so that you can stay up to date with the latest news and stories, learn the greatest tools and tactics, and gain some of the best opportunities to connect with new people. Special guests include top founders, CEOs, and experts. Plus, the audience is always full of fascinating people. Even Elon Musk recently tuned in. All of our conversations are educating, entertaining, and engaging with the mission to help you succeed. So follow us on all your favorite social media platforms, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, tune in live to the best podcast. Let's talk soon.